0: Dan Departs as Alan Ascends, A Job for Everyone Who Wants One, Referendum Updates, and Good News About Kites. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am your co-host, Ben Davison, and joining me, as always, is the great, the glorious, the uh, celebrated playwright... (laughs) of A Fool in Love, opening in February 2024. Tickets on sale for the general public from December. My wife, your friend, and the baby sheep sitting opposite me van baddam how are you van well
1: you know i've been writing because i have my baby sheep ears on
0: yes indeed. and
1: i realize this may not come across clearly on a podcast but it's it i have these baby sheep ears that my mother used to wear in hospital so she could keep her hair out of her face and still put her makeup on and i've adopted them post my mother's tragic demise and uh, so i feel her with me when i'm
0: writing with my little baby sheep ears on it, it's very, very cute. Uh, yeah, Ben loves it also. It's, it's, it's very, cute. very cute. Ben, I do want to touch on something that I discussed on the weekend wrap very briefly. Was it that my play Full in Love is on at the Sydney Theatre
1: Company? Because that's the crucial detail it is on at the Sydney Theatre Company in February.
0: It is on at the Sydney Theatre Company in February. That wasn't what I discussed on the weekend wrap. What I pointed out to people on the weekend wrap was the workers on strike at Ingham's as well as workers on strike at NSIS, which is an ETU strike. The Ingham workers have won their dispute. Yay! Following some terrible behaviour by management.
1: Yes, the dirty bins, the meat-filled bins. Dear Ingham's Chicken, like Ben and I are meat eaters. We mm. make no bones about that. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. And I've got to say, Ingham, your union-busting tactics mean a boycott, but getting photos of bins full of chicken bit rotting chicken bits that were put near where the workers were gathering to protest conditions was a
0: very bad PR move. Well thankfully there'll be no need for a boycott because the workers have won pay rises uh, in some cases of uh, nearly a hundred dollars a week which is fantastic outcome uh, and pay increases of I think it was 5.2% the first year and 4% uh, in each of the following two years as well as uh, caps on the use of labour hire, Uh more rights for casuals, an independent review of management practices. So some of those horrendous union-busting tactics will come under the microscope, I am sure. But it is a fantastic outcome for workers who are often quite low-paid, who are often here on um, short-term visa arrangements or Mm -hmm. unstable visa arrangements, and, of course, often workers who are not necessarily Um, with uh, language skills or other educational attainments that would allow them to move into other industries. By standing together, these workers were able to get the outcome they deserved, which was a decent pay rise, better working conditions, and better management. We knew that Ingham's were being very profitable. Their clients, Coles, Woolworths, KFC McDonald's, very, very profitable. The CEO had a big 9% pay rise. The workers were really just asking for what was fair. They stood together. They were members of the United Workers' Union and they won. Now, if you're wanting your fair share at work, you need to join your union as well. You can go to australianunions.org.au slash wow. That's W-O-W. doesn't matter what sector you're in. There is a union for you.
1: And I want to talk about some other really great union news because there's good union news all around the world at the moment. Yeah. The writers won in America. So screenwriters, television writers have been on strike five months. Yeah of union action uh, demanding a maintenance of their rights against the very, very powerful uh, Hollywood producers. Yeah, absolutely. And they won. And the streaming giants, yeah. And the streaming giants, they won. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Which is what tends to happen if you join unions and take collective action is that you do get a seat at the bargaining table and you do win. There's some awesome local news as well. Now, one of my two unions, um, MIA, which is Mm -hmm. the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, it has won back – uh, funding that was taken away from the screen industry in New South Wales. So there was a massive cut that was um, approved by the Liberal Party when they were in government in New South Wales taking $60 million out of local screen, which mm-hmm. would, of course, devastated jobs in the screen industry. Of course, there's a Labor government now, but that cut was not restored in the new New oh, South Wales right. budget. So me, I went, yeah. Not on, had meetings of a thousand union members going, This is going to devastate our jobs and our industry. And guess what? They won. Yeah. New South Wales government went, Oh, sorry. Oops. Found the money. Fantastic. Because they took collective action. And this is the thing, too. It's like not everyone is a villain, yeah. but you can't fix what you don't know is broken. So those workers taking that action got that changed, save their jobs.
0: And of course, Van, you mentioned um, the, the riders' strike in the US. The, the auto workers in the US have been on strike. And who's been to the picket, Ben? President Joe Biden. Who I love, who I
1: absolutely love. I absolutely love Joe Biden. I think he's the best president of the United States in my lifetime. He is on the picket wearing his little cap. First, Standing with auto workers.
0: First time in living memory a sitting president of the United States. No, no,
1: States. no, no. Not in living memory ever. It is the first time a sitting United States president has ever appeared in solidarity with workers on a picket line. He is the most pro-Labor uh, president in American history. That is an incontrovertible fact. He has encouraged American workers to join unions. He has pursued economic policies that redistribute power more equally with a stated commitment to building up the rights and collective wealth of the working class, which I think we all know in the United States is long overdue. Absolutely. It is just so inspiring to say that to be to stand with workers and go i am the president of the united states and i am with you that's a powerful message and compare this to the the president of the auto workers was like we don't want donald trump here he's <laughs> never he represents the billionaire class he represents exactly what we're fighting against and
0: he is not welcome uh, look it's a good uh reminder to all uh- join a union it's Johnny Union and for all politicians that's standing with working people. Working people are the voters. They're the voters. Yeah, to the picket. In Western democracies. Uh, you know, so, look, that's just a very quick round. In his little cap. It's Joe fantastic. Biden, in his little cap. Sorry, Ben is aware of the fact
1: that I've, just, I've got this weird emotional connection with Jill Biden as well that I just think she's unbelievably nice. And every time I see her interviewed, I cry.
0: Ben, we do need to move on to some of our uh, main stories, if you like, for today because Dan Andrews... The right of work is, is always the main story. <laughs> well, it is. It is. But, of course, uh, the Dan Andrews uh, time as leader of Victoria has come to an end. By the time you listen to this podcast, Dan Andrews will no longer be Premier of Victoria. It will instead be just Jacinta Allen and, of course, some people, it was interesting to me, some people were surprised by this and some media commentators have expressed surprise. Of course, the Murdoch media, uh, rather than do the thing that they would usually do when a uh, undefeated leader of a, a political party uh, steps out of public office, give them some graceful exit, they have tried to pillory Dan Andrews as they did throughout the entire time of his premiership
1: very successfully and by which I mean very successfully for Daniel Andrews That's because right. if there's one lesson and I say this to every labor voter labor Party branch member, every Labor Party staffer, every Labor Party MP and union leader and union member who listens to this show, the full gamut of the Mm. organised Labor movement. I want to make this very clear. The triumph of Daniel Andrews winning in 2014 and then doubling down, increasing his vote in 2018, increasing his vote again in 2022, the secret of that success was that he did not do what Murdoch told him to do. He never cowed. He never bowed, right? And that's, they are not on our side. They are not giving us good advice. They do not want us to win. They are not reflecting the actual attitudes of the people. Murdoch Papers represent the the attitudes of. Who do they represent, Ben?
0: The Murdoch family.
1: And so if you can find a state of five million members of the Murdoch family, maybe, and you're trying to get elected, maybe you should listen to what they say. But if you want to represent Victorians working people, a plurality of communities. Mm. I say this with just heartfelt conviction to all Labor people, do not do what Murdoch tells you to do. Daniel Andrews didn't. He is the proof of the pudding.
0: Absolutely. As you say, he expanded his majority in every election. Uh, and, you know, they they have tried to suggest all sorts of terrible things, but when you look at what was achieved under Dan Andrews as leader of Victoria. Putting aside, if we can, just for a moment if it's possible, uh, the fantastic outcomes that we had with COVID in terms of the low levels of fatality, the low levels of The avoidance of
1: mass death, I think, during a plague. Avoiding mass death during a plague is actually quite an achievement.
0: Absolutely. When we consider the high levels of infection that happen in places just north of the border, for example, uh, and the higher rates of uh, infection and disease and death as a result, well-managed, right? There's going to be lots of commentary, I'm sure, about lockdowns and all the rest of it. There already is. But let's look at the core things that a Labor government is about. Unemployment rate in Victoria, 3.6%. The only Liberal state left in the nation is Tasmania, where their unemployment rate is 4.4%. The average wage in Victoria is $90,000 a year. In Tasmania, it's $78,000 a year. 72 level crossings have been removed and 39 train stations have been rebuilt. We have the Westgate Tunnel Project, the Metro Tunnel Project. These are due to be finished inside the next two years. 57 new schools have been built just since 2019 and another 20 more are to be opened by 2025. We have nurse patient ratios among the best in the country. We have sick pay for casuals, which has been expanded to include some of your comrades in the arts van. He has rebuilt the public service. Oh yeah,
1: there's like sick pay for playwrights now. Yeah. I something I, as a playwright, just never imagined I would live to see. And I put that on my Facebook, because obviously mm. playwrights hang out. I mean, there aren't a lot of us. I mean, mm. we all know mm. one another. And everybody was like, and people internationally was like, How is this what is this paradise <laughs> you're living in? I'm like, I know, right? Like we're actually, and actors and dancers and all of these people covered it's just unheard of.
0: Well, to quote uh, the Secretary of the Victorian Trade, Saul Luke Hilikari, he Dan Andrews made Victoria the best place in Australia to be a worker. And quite frankly, I think we're increasingly getting back to Australia being one of the best places in the world to be a worker. And if the Senate can pull its thumb out of its ears long enough to pass the closing loopholes bill, we will get even closer to that reality uh, for the whole nation. But look, Dan Andrews undoubtedly will leave a legacy. 13 years as leader of the Labor Party, uh, he was a minister under uh, Brumby and Brax in those governments as well, uh, nine years as Premier of Victoria. Of course, you and I met on the night he became, he won that election. Uh, and and now, of course, we can't say that our lovers is as as old as the Andrews government.
1: Our love has outlived the
0: Andrews government,
1: darling. It has indeed. Isn't
0: that beautiful? It has indeed. Yes,
1: I full disclosure, I saw this ridiculously handsome man across the room at the party at Trades Hall the night that Daniel Andrews was elected, and I had just walked in through the big double doors of the old loading dock, which is (laughs) now the CFMU bar, and I saw him and I went, I'm going to marry that man. And very fortunately... He was up for it. <laughs> <laughs> and we both knew immediately how funny. It so it's was. always been, we've always felt intrinsically part of the Andrews Labor government because that's when our relationship
0: began. Indeed. Well, now, of course, we our relationship started all the way back when the Andrews Labor, when Labor first uh, became the government in Victoria. They've been together so long, you know, they've been together longer than Daniel Andrews it was Premier of Victoria. Now we move into a new era as Jacinta Allen uh, becomes uh, Premier. Uh, She was elected unopposed. Of course, Bendigo-based, despite that, uh, as a Ballarat person. Get over it, Ben. It's really good to see another person from the regions uh, take the top job. It is.
1: It's fantastic. Dan
0: Andrews was originally from regional Victoria. Jacinta Allen, not just originally from regional Victoria, but obviously lives there 24 years in the Victorian Parliament, uh, the youngest ever female parliamentarian in Victorian history, only the second woman leader ever to lead uh, Victoria. These are fantastic achievements in their own right. Jacinta Allen has talked about continuing uh, the projects, not just the major infrastructure projects that were begun under the Andrews leadership, but also continuing the progressive social policy, which we know Jacinta Allen uh, has been absolutely at the core of for such a long period of time as well. These are This is a f- fantastic transition. Um, it's always hard. To say goodbye to a leader like Dan Andrews, someone who was so comprehensive in his dominance over those billionaire and corporate-owned media oh, interests,
1: so good, so good. I mean, he had a clangor just the other day about Peter Dutton. Uh, if you get a chance to see it online, it is—it's just such a beautiful Andrews moment to go out on. Where he was asked, apparently Peter Dutton's been in Victoria, and um, and he was asked, "Oh, what do you think about Peter Dutton being in Victoria?" And this is the best I can do. Oh, well, I don't, I'm not that interested in Peter Dutton being in Victoria. I mean, good on him. I mean, I suppose he needed a map to find it. I'm glad he got over his fear of some of the frankly idiotic things he said, untrue, idiotic things he said about being fearful of coming to Victoria. Good on him. And then he, and then you can see the guys behind him start to laugh and they're all in suits and they're trying to keep it in. And then he's like, oh, did his party walk out on him? Oh, no, they just did that to the state leader, the party books. And it was just, it went for less than a minute and it was just a comprehensive disembowelling. And I just thought, this is why you're so popular, because Australians <laughs> love this. Australians love a mongrel and you, sir, you are the apex Victorian mongrel.
0: <laughs> Well, look, he's going to spend more time with his family, play a bit of golf, uh, get on the beers. Yeah, there's a remix of the Get on the Beers, which is which is pretty classic. It's already come out on TikTok. You can check that out. I'm Have sure. a sneaky dart. Yeah, the sneaky dart photo. sneaky dart is back. Yeah, look, it. But Jacinta Allen, I think, will be a really good premiere for Victoria. She's. Um, She's done a lot of portfolios. She's 24 years in Parliament. Do you know
1: she has the most cabinet experience of anyone in Victorian Parliamentary Labor Party?
0: There you go. There you go.
1: Oh, she's pretty good. Like, she's across it. And I think it's fantastic having a Premier. I do really think it's fantastic having a Premier from Bendigo um, because so, like, the old old days of Melbourne versus everybody else are over Mm. and we have quite an integrated economy and Mm. like there has been so much movement to the regions they are changing uh you know our industries are changing the kind of work we do out here is changing and the need for housing has you know pushed a lot of people out of melbourne Mm. and into the region certainly one of the reasons why i mean obviously family reasons with us coming back to ballarat but being here was partly an economic decision. Yeah, you know, and like and and those kind of new insights into what a modern, real Victoria looks like and what the challenges of the state
0: are. I think it's fantastic to have someone from the regions in the Premiership. Couldn't agree more. And of course, you know, Bendigo seats are both Labor. Ballarat seats are all Labor. Geelong seats are Labor. Uh, the regions are Labor. We we live in a in a Victoria where the 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 red wall is not doesn't stop at the metro edge. So it's really good to see that our Premier will be a regional Victorian.
1: Who speaks to our experience and our values. Indeed. Um, how cute is this dog?
0: Tell everybody how cute the dog he's is. He's very cute. He's asleep on our knees. Uh, and of course Ben Carroll uh is has been elected unopposed as deputy. Uh most recently the transport minister uh Ben Carroll uh, a bit like Dan Andrews, um, hasn't been afraid to fire back at the media uh, with when he feels that they've been particularly slanted or unfair, uh, as he did recently around some issues regarding Mikey and the public transport system. So, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Of course, today there was all of the you know Byzantine uh, backwards and forwards around who was going to run for leader and who was going to run for deputy, and the media speculation which goes a bit off tap and a bit. Uh, Into the realms of fantastical fairyland. It
1: is always so interesting. Like the Australian Labour Party is not difficult to understand, except if you're reporting on it, apparently. Like Ben and I always have a laugh when we see some of the supposed insights of the media class. And bless my colleagues. Like I I do I do understand that journalism is an incredibly challenging job. Mm. I do also Understand that the work of a journalist is 10 times what it was mm. even 10 years ago, the amount of copy that you have to file, the kind of multimedia pressure that you're under, all of those things, I do understand it. But it, I think it's just a socialisation division that yeah. they really don't have any idea what the Labour Party stands for, what its internal dynamics are, who the factions are, who controls what, where the influence comes on. The relationship of the union movement is always sort of underestimated, which is interesting when you consider the word Labour in the, in the name. It does
0: always seem to be this idea that somehow or another the, 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 the Labour movement or, or unions or organised workers are, are a lobby group or a special interest group and, and this complete uh I don't know if it's willful blindness or or just inability. poor socialization. Yeah, poor socialization, I guess. But it, it you know, it is the Labour Party and it was formed by unions to represent the interests of working people. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that's how Jacinta Allen describes herself as the daughter of workers. You know, this is this is the kind of Uh, party that we have it's the kind of leaders that we want and and it's a lived experience now there's going to be people who bag that and criticize that for either being kind of you know oh it's it's in the pocket of unions well Unions are the largest uh, membership organisations in the country. Uh, they represent workers like the workers at Ingham's. Uh, and they the workers are made up in of the film the
1: industry, you know, like yeah. all of these
0: different people.
1: I mean, this is expectation that you're supposed to be ashamed of being working class or ashamed of being a union member, or ashamed of where you come from. And it's like Friends. We're really proud of where yeah. we come from.
0: And We actually love the culture of working and, people. And the and the aspiration of the Labor Party, and it goes to our, our next story, which is about the new um, employment white paper as well, is, is that the Labor Party, the Labor movement exists to improve the lives of working people. It's not to... Uh, trap them in a life of never-ending grind and servitude. It's not to, uh, it's not to somehow revel in the idea of disadvantage.
1: It's, it's to celebrate the dignity of work and how absolutely awesome it is to make
0: things. Yeah, and to and to remove disadvantage wherever we find it, particularly when it is imposed on a on a class basis or a racial basis or on any basis really that is discriminatory against working people. And that's so fundamental. And this is what I mean. There'll be people on the right who go, oh, Labor and the union's too close. We're seeing a bit of that around the, Closing the loopholes, Bill, you know, big business.
1: Labor and the unions are too close. There's, oh, I guess I'll have to change their name. That is the stupidest thing I've they're, ever They're squealing about that. Of course they are. And yet Peter Dutton, his whole electoral strategy, and this will be relevant to other parts of this conversation, he genuinely believes there's this mysterious vote out there that no one as yet has been able to find uh, for the Liberal Party as the Party of Workers. Which is really interesting because I know a bit about the history of the Liberal Party and as far as I understand it was founded
0: by the banks. Well, we have to be very clear that the Liberal Party does not support the Closing Loopholes Bill. No, we want you to fall down as many loopholes as possible. Which means it does not support $9 billion of money that should be going into wages over the course of the next, uh, I think it's the next 10 years. That's what it means. Like that, the the reason why big business is squealing about this bill so much is because the loopholes around labor hire, around forced casualization, around the gig economy means that companies like BHP and Qantas and Mabel and all these other kind of companies have managed to transfer $9 billion that should be going in wages to their bottom line, to their profit line, to their dividends and executive bonuses. That's what it means. And so you know there is no there is no ifs, buts, or maybe's about it. And in fact, early on in the debate, the Australian and the Boss's pamphlet and even the Liberal Party were talking about this nine billion dollar cost to quote unquote the economy if this bill passed. Yeah, because they genuinely do not see and when anybody was, who works as part of the economy. And when it was pointed out that actually this means there's $9 billion that should have been paid in wages if workers were getting the minimum standards that other workers get, they suddenly stop talking about it because they know they're trying to go out and convince people that we should all be making a voluntary contribution to BHP and Qantas of $9 billion is ridiculous And it's an anti-worker position.
1: Oh, I mean, what I find so funny, given Dutton's whole, oh, yeah, well, you know, these people are just out there. We just have to find them. It's like everybody in Australia already votes, Pete. I think we we all know where people line up here. But, you know, the Liberal Party go on with their rhetoric curve. Oh, uh, But we're also the party of small business. Here's a question to small businesses. Who is your customer base? If you're a small business, Mm. you're a retail or hospitality Business. When do you do well and when do you do badly? Do you do well when everybody's out of work? Do you do well when everybody's underpaid? To be a party of small business, genuinely of small enterprise, one would think that you'd rather like the $9 billion cash injection into the small business economy that comes from working people spending money you would think that that if I was like a a young independent entrepreneur type person and thinking about you know where's my market where are my customers you know what what stall am I going to set up what am I going to sell who Mm. am I going to sell it to you'd be like I rather like the idea of nine billion dollars going back into the economy I think some of that I could churn through my cash register
0: oh absolutely and look you know credit to Anthony Albanese and Jim Chalmers because because that focus on employment and wages is absolutely front and center you know we, we're going to talk about uh the referendum because that's obviously a big issue as well but one of the things that dropped this week was the new white paper on full employment yay, well, they're, call- yay, they're calling it employment. they're calling it the employment white paper it's just so i think not, not to rip off curtain entirely um but you know, it makes. I mean, to be perfectly
1: fair, I'd love it if people ripped off curtain like more of the time when it comes to this economic stuff. Absolutely,
0: it makes a couple of really key points. Uh, our economic circumstances are changing. The population is getting older. We expect to live longer and spend more years in good health. Demand for quality care and support services is rising. The use of digital and advanced technologies is increasing. Global actions to address climate change mean Australia is one of the country's best positioned to benefits from a net, zero trans- a net zero transformation. We know that with our sun, with our wind, and we'll talk about some uh, good news around wind and kites in our good news story later on. Uh, we know that with our uh, our supplies of things like lithium and, and some of the other minerals that we have here in Australia. Rising geopolitical risk and fragmentation does disrupt supply chains. We saw that during COVID. We've seen that with the Ukrainian war. We've seen that with uh, some of the issues coming out of China. And there is an increasing importance on resilience in our own domestic economy. Now, what this paper says is that we need to deliver sustained and inclusive full employment. Currently, there's around 3 million people uh, who either want work and can't get it, or have work and want more. Only one in six of these people is counted as unemployed, and therefore the other five get very little support in the way of employment services. Uh, There's another million people who are underemployed. Uh, We've talked about that before. and there's 1.3 million potential workers who can't look for work because of issues with finances, transport, housing, disability, childcare, caring for um, older uh, parents or other adults, uh, some kind of training um, block, i.e. they don't have appropriate training, or some kind of other issue. That is a large number of Australians who are missing out on the benefits of our Commonwealth because they're not able to participate in the workforce. So this paper really does start to look at what can we do to fix some of these problems, you know, and of course it includes a whole section on promoting job security and strong sustainable wage growth, because as we know, when people feel more secure in their employment, they're more productive. When there is strong wage growth they are also more actively involved in the economic uh, transactions of their community. These are all good and positive things for the Commonwealth of Australia. So then, you know, this new white paper, of course, the Liberals have sort of poo-pooed it a bit, but there's some really tangible elements of reform here that having a focus beyond the kind of standard ABS data, which is all looking very good and we talk about a tight labour market and all the rest of it, but how do we actually involve more people? How do we engage the people who the traditional labour markets have not been designed for in a way that delivers uh, outcomes for them? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> He just looked at me. I was like, oh, Ben's on a tear. I'm not going to interrupt (laughs) this. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, we want people in work because work is meaningful. Work is community. Work is a form of education. We learn things at work. We develop bonds with people who we otherwise wouldn't meet through our family structures at work. Work is good. Work doesn't have to be terrible. Work doesn't have to be exploitative. Work doesn't have to be an experience of indignity or, or cruelty or exhaustion. It can be productive and constructive and meaningful. I mean, one of the reasons why I pursued a career in the arts was because I had a vocational calling towards it. And I work more hours than most people, as well, you know. Mm. Like I work pretty serious hours because I love the work I do and that – has come at a penalty because the arts are very underpaid, the work is very unstable, it's it's really hard. But there's an opportunity if we look at the economy as a system of interactions between human beings to make everything that we do meaningful and fulfilling, a social experience of productivity that we all gain something from as well as an experience that, you know, puts roofs over our heads and foods in, food in our mouths and food in our children's mouths. Mm. And the idea that there would be structural barriers to that participation, structural barriers that lock out women or lock out people because they have disabilities or lock out First Nations people or lock out people on the basis of where they're geographically located Mm. or, oh, my God, I'm going to say it loud, lock out people because of their age, mm, you know, mm-hmm. lock out people if, because they're queer or because they're trans or any of these reasons, odd, crazy, systemic prejudices. We can actually take those down. Mm. There is absolutely no reason why we can't have full employment apart from a willingness to accommodate people in employment.
0: Well, I mean, it's really it's really uh, important, I think, we acknowledge that the, the union movement has backed an ambition for zero involuntary unemployment. Um, the, the The paper does include 31 broad reform directions and nine new policy initiatives. Some, some of the things in the roadmap to achieve this uh, include um, placing full employment at the heart of institutions and policy frameworks and this five-pillar productivity agenda, uh, including secure, fairly paid jobs, modernising industry and regional policy. So, People don't have to move to Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane uh, to, to get work. In fact, we think about how we decentralise uh, Australia and and deepen our industrial base, uh, that we do plan for our future workforce. We know that we're going to need uh, you know something like 22% more people in the care economy. We know we're going to need something like nearly 30% more people uh, in information technology communications industries. Uh, that requires a focus on building skills. So, of course, broadening access to foundational skills, uh, affordable quality early childhood uh, education and care, improving school outcomes. And this comes back to one of the campaigns that I've been working on with the Australian Education Union and I know I've promoted on the show before, but the For Every Child campaign. Less than 2% of our public schools are fully funded to the level they need to provide support For every child based on need. That has to change. This white paper makes it very clear education is foundational to having a fully employable uh, society and population and giving people the access to participate in those things. Investing in skills, tertiary education and lifelong learning. You and I have both benefited from lifelong learning at different points in our lives I can't get enough formal education. <laughs> it's true.
1: it, it despairs. been I'm always running off to do another course, or another subject or another degree. I'm just like, just can't. I love having a full brain. Indeed. And, and when my brain starts to leak out a bit, I go back in formal education and I fill it all up again. And
0: I'm statutorily obliged to continue my professional development for various reasons. <laughs> so I will continue to do that. But it is important because the idea that, you know, uh, I'm sure there are some people still possibly more towards the end of their career than at the start who have uh, only worked in one place doing one thing, but that is not the experience of the majority. It won't be the experience of generations to come.
1: Did you know the average Australian changes careers seven times in their life?
0: Changes careers, not even jobs, but careers. I mean, that's a huge... I don't even want to think about how many jobs I've had. It's a huge number of jobs. That means we need new skills. We need capacity to upskill. So having that focus on on skill development, tertiary education, so important. Reforming the migration system. You know, we've talked about this a lot over the years, we've been doing this show for years now, can you believe it? Uh, But we've talked about this a lot, that we want people to come to Australia who want to be part of this country. That doesn't mean abandoning all of their beliefs, or culture, or any of that, it means coming to Australia to build their life here, uh, to share those things with the rest of us.
1: Yeah, and to engage our democratic institutions and our democratic values.
0: What we don't want is we don't want employers, individual employers, being able to cherry pick people out on short term, uh, short term visas and exploit them, and exploit them, and leave them with no recourse but to do sometimes quite horrendous things in order to be able to generate money to send to their family uh, in their country of origin. So reforming that migration process so that people can come here, build lives here, be part of our Commonwealth, which is a multicultural, diverse population of people. Ben is bringing Commonwealth back. I'm all for Commonwealth. I think it's an important word. It's right there in our constitution. It's on our coat of arms, and we should We should embrace it. We should get with it. Uh, And, of course, building capabilities through employment services. As I mentioned before, five out of the six people who would like more work have no support to access that work. Building up employment services so that we move away from the Howard-era model which we still have in many parts of this country, really, of an outsourced, privatised, for-profit system that effectively is about delivering shareholder outcomes and, and executive bonuses really at the expense of people who need support to find work, uh, and totally excluding people who would like some support to find work.
1: Yeah, and as a person who's been through that system, because I i mean obviously I'm in the arts, I have had periods of unemployment, mm-hmm. i I have been through the privatised job network system and it was awful. It was completely demobilising. I got so distressed when I was in that system that I ended up being transferred to the DSP because I'm very open about the fact I have major depressive disorder, Mm. post-traumatic stress disorder, and apparently also ADHD. So I'm three different flavours of bonkers, everybody. Uh, I didn't know about the ADHD at the time. But the issue is that, I mean, that system was so punitive and cruel and impersonal and unfulfilling and not actually particularly interested in helping me find work either mm. because the the money is paid You just sort of churn you through the system. I mean there are horrendous stories that have come out in various reports and investigations about how people get treated in those job networks mm. as just essentially expendable to a corporate bottom line. And my experience with them was so bad that my mental health worsened. Mm. Like we're not making it up about – unemployment you know, leading to physical debilitation, because it does. I've had that experience myself. And when my dad had his bounce of unemployment, he had
0: it himself. Well, it is. I mean, it's, it's really stark. There's some information that's come out that uh, 36% of time uh, in the employment services, the staff spend 36% of their time doing paperwork, uh, and they spend as little as 30 minutes a fortnight uh, actually Engaging uh, with people. Oh, the outcomes are shocking. So you know these are billions of dollars of, of, of quote unquote taxpayer money from our Commonwealth <laughs> that goes to the it back. That goes to these providers, and we need to see better integration, more coordination, more cooperation uh, to support people into fulfilling ongoing secure employment uh, that have opportunities for wage growth and development. I apologise for getting
1: quite upset. It's quite a visceral memory, that job
0: network experience. And a lot of people do. Like we see it online... You know, every day you can see online people who are who are being trapped in this system, who feel incredibly despondent by it. You know, I've had periods of unemployment myself. I've had periods where I've worked with people in un- who are unemployed, uh, not as a job network provider, I should be very clear about that, but through uh, emergency relief and other programs. And it is incredibly difficult. For anybody who's involved in it, and I don't want to diminish that in any way, uh, but we do need structural reform to deal with it. We do need to support policies that will get us there. It's not a magic wand solution. This employment white paper is not suggesting there's, there's no a magic
1: silver wand. bullet. I mean, these are intersectional policy challenges. And they require different investments in different parts of the economy and different parts of the country in order to get right. Being unemployed in Wollongong is very different to being unemployed in the inner city of Sydney. Being unemployed in, you know, a Uh, Gisborne is very different to being unemployed in Bustleton. Like Mm. Australia is a big and complex place where barriers to employment are different based on where you live, what age you are, you know, what experiences you've had, whether you've had access to education, you know, what your cultural context is, what your care arrangements Mm. are. And job networks have no investment in dealing with any of those things. No. Job network providers aren't sitting down going, God, we've really got to do something about Patriarchy. I mean that's (laughs) yeah, should we query our own internal ableism? How are we processing our prejudices towards age? I mean, that's not what they exist for.
0: No, it's not. And I think, you know
1: By the way, everybody,
0: that's what governments exist for, (laughs) just in case you hadn't got them. That's actually what government exists for. And and it's interesting to see when you think about some of the Albanese government policies that the policies around uh, the gender pay gap, which is, of course, decreased under uh, the Albanese government. The policies that Bill Shorten is introducing in through uh, the NDIS to try and increase employment outcomes for people with disabilities. Uh, we're seeing uh, increases right across the board, really, to try and overcome some of the barriers. The paper makes this point as well around how to overcome the barriers to employment so that groups that have traditionally missed out or been discriminated against uh, are not discriminated against anymore, that we do move forward as a country, that we unlock the potential and the productivity that is is being left Behind, so that people can enjoy the the prosperity of of our commonwealth, it is a really important part of of the white paper, and that's why I think having it as a core pillar is a central part of government's focus. Like if that's, I saw some article that talked about, you know, Anthony Albanese has set the government's KPIs. Will they be able to? Will they be able to meet it? Well, I think that's actually really important. You know, we've gone from an era. Of fixation on uh, on on the budget, uh, to having a proper fixation on the outcomes for people. You know, are we gainfully employed? Are we having lives of productivity and meaning? Are we living healthier, longer, happier lives? These are important things. And the idea of just using GDP and a budget surplus as a proxy for successful government, I think think that has to go by the wayside. Uh, You and I have talked before. Under a proper managed economic circumstance, there will be times when a budget deficit is the right outcome. There will be times where our GDP growth shouldn't be reliant on the fact that we're having to recover from floods. Because I don't know if people know this. Every time there's a flood, every time there's a war, GDP growth goes up. Yeah, great, awesome. You know that is not necessarily ind- indicative of a prosperous society.
1: Yeah, I mean Ben and I don't want to, you know, put a spoiler alert on anything, but spoiler alert: <laughs> our values, our beliefs as labourist, democratic socialists do not mean our ideology is a one-size-fits-all to every occasion. Mm. You can leave your values of equality and equity and inclusion and shared prosperity, which is fundamentally what we believe in, and self-determination, uh, and, and also be flexible in responding to the circumstances you find yourself in. There is not, and this is the, I mean, this is the genius of John Maynard Keynes in, in the, in his generally employment of uh, general theory of employment and money is that it's a flexible system Mm. for trying to deliver those outcomes in the short term, in the long term, with as much opportunity as possible, reacting to the reality that you find yourself in the difference between reality and zealotry is is flexibility and adaptability and adjustability and how could we possibly i mean it's funny because i've been very sick i think Mm. i did the show last week i was sick we had to cancel another one because i have really been unwell And it's just on an individual level, on the microest of micro levels, it has really screwed with my capacity to fulfil my work Mm. at the moment because it was an outlier incident. I don't even know how I got sick. I'd been wearing masks on public transport and planes and the whole thing. Two and a half weeks later with some horrible virus, I haven't still quite been able to shift. Like it requires... adaptability and of course especially in a climate prone world in a world that is throwing up you know these you know crazy plagues Mm. and unpredicted events of course we have to bring resilience and flexibility to economic planning of course we do yeah
0: well look you know the white paper is out there obviously it's going to be a big part of labor's policy agenda moving forward but van one of the things that is very much front and center of the political debate, of the media discussion, uh, although 30% of people apparently still are undecided about how they're going to vote at the referendum is, of course, the referendum itself. The referendum to, uh, insert recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as the First Nations people of Australia in the constitution and to enshrine, uh, an advisory body called the voice, uh, into the Constitution. Noel Pearson was at the press club today uh, basically calling uh, for the unity of love, uh, that we would uh, move forward on that basis. Uh, You know, postal votes have started arriving. Some people who have applied for those have started to receive them. Pre-poll has opened in remote communities, I understand, and will open nationwide next week. But interestingly, you've got an article out today that talks about the disinformation that's been going around in the campaign and it comes I know you've been talking about this for a couple of weeks and I know we touched on I'm it I'm just going to keep
1: talking about it because it's an air war and it is entirely
0: coordinated and and you know Anthony Albanese made this point I think it was yesterday uh, as well in fact in some of the things that you've been saying I heard repeated in in his uh in his Reaction to the question about uh, misinformation and disinformation at this at this press stop. I don't even know where the press stop was, but he he made the point that this is not about a UN takeover. This is not about people losing their backyards. It is a very simple set of questions, uh, and it is a very small change to the constitution that has repercussions for 3% of the population feeling more included and having greater say over policies that impact them and very little to no repercussions for the 97% of Australians who are not Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander.
1: No. I mean, this is the thing. The voice is very simple. It's very simple. It, the idea of putting the voice in the Constitution is because we've had equivalents of the voice before. Yeah. And for the past 50 years, every government has created an an advisory of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and then the government's changed and the next government has smashed it to pieces, losing institutional knowledge, displacing staff, you know, and then we all start all over again. It's one of the reasons why the problems around misdirected programs and waste have not stopped. Yeah. So putting it into the constitution means it's genuinely independent and it means that it's not subject to party political will. Because, obviously, change of government, changing parties, yeah. change priority. But it will be subject to the laws of parliament. Of course it's subject to the laws it of it says parliament. that in the question. And it says that in the question. The only thing the voice will be empowered to do is to make representations to government. Yeah. And just so people are very clear about what representations are, That's having meetings, giving briefings, attending other committees, writing papers doing a bit of research and if that sounds boring to you welcome to the wonderful world of government policy that's how it's all done and for people who are freaking out about feeling excluded by the idea that uh, you know a small panel of aboriginal torres strait islander people will be talking about research papers and development outcomes and you know anything to do with their communities i I went through a list of government agencies that already exist the other day and it is shocking that there isn't something like the voice of already because do you know we have a uh like a Norfolk island Authority yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah, that's I a government. That, that exists. Yeah. and there's a I commissioner know, for Norfolk Island. Yeah, they, yeah, they've,
1: yeah. yeah, they've got a title, like yeah. the administrator of Norfolk Island. Yeah, yeah. No one is losing their marbles about the UN taking over Australia because there's a minister for Norfolk Island. vast majority of Australians are not Norfolkian. Yeah. Right? We are not. We have no relationship to any of the main characters in the Bounding movie, <laughs> and yet, I mean, that exists. I also found the Eye and Tissue Authority.
0: Yeah. Did you know that exists? Uh, I think I was vaguely aware of it. Now. I
1: have glasses, you have glasses. Yeah. I didn't know it existed. Here's a question.
0: There's an egg council.
1: There's an egg council. Yeah, of yeah. course there is. Yeah, yep. yeah. Then there's the film classification board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, is everybody at, does everybody feel excluded from that I think, I think from
0: there's one on? for pork as well. The pork board. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's called the pork board, but I think it's like the Pork Industry Association. The Porcine
1: Meat or Products or Association. Like or agency or agency, authority. authority. Yeah, authority it is, it's authority. amazing. Like the full yeah. gamut of government, I've got to say, is kind of incredible. Yeah. But you no can up, you yeah. know. There's oh, a website. yes, there yeah, is a yeah. website, it's yeah. all it's quite transparent because yeah. this is the other thing for all the people like, oh, there should be an audit. All of this is audited, <laughs> anything that comes under the remit of government has to be audited. That's the law. In fact, do you know what's really funny? What comes under the remit of government, do you know where it's explained? Tell me in the constitution. Oh, there you go. I know, right? It is crazy. Mm-hmm. Do you know we can't have a rent freeze because it's actually.
0: Against the Constitution.
1: It's against the Constitution. The federal government does not have that power. federal government does not have the power over process. It is amazing when you find out that it is true if you actually read the Constitution as opposed to randos on the internet who are providing you with completely unsourced speculation that they're claiming to be true when it is not. So I obviously, when I started posting about The Voice two weeks ago and I shared some Will Strack videos, Will Strack, mm. amazing TikTok commentator, really good friend of ours, if you're on TikTok, she's unmissable. She made some really great explainers about the voice and about its context and the rest of it. And I talked about last week about how I just got totally flooded with disinformation content and it was really hostile and really aggressive. And I explained that the reason why that happens is to intimidate people from being loud and proud yeah. about the voice. And I have since heard this from so many pro-yes people that they keep getting hit And this is the conspicuous part with the same talking points. It's the UN. It's divisive. It's somehow racist. We should just forget the past. And the words are the same. Yeah. And I obviously block these people instantly because I have learned you're not there to fact check disinformationists. Yeah. Right? That doesn't help anyone. That doesn't actually help people who don't know. What helps people who don't know what's going on is blocking disinformationists and getting disinformationists out of view so people can look at the facts and make up their own mind. All right. It is not restricting someone's freedom of speech to not host disinformation on your own platforms and to not engage in it in a conversation yeah. with the disinformation is. but I also because I have this habit of doing this as well you know I made notes about the accounts that I was being attacked by mm-hmm. and then I compared them to a lot of accounts that I encountered during my research for my QAnon book and what did I discover Ben?
0: I imagine there's quite a bit of crossover
1: oh my god the same people the same names the same accounts the same accounts that are curiously lower detail and of course I'm on TikTok now you can mm-hmm. check out my you know very amateurish videos there week on wednesday is also on tiktok and the week on wednesday is also on tiktok as well you know um the dog is now treading on me and it's very cute And I noticed some very interesting things about the attack accounts I was getting on TikTok. They were accounts that had never made videos, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting on a video platform. And they had maybe 20, 26, maybe 30, maybe 40 followers. And all of those followers were AI-generated pictures of very pretty girls. Right. Yes. So there are a lot of locked accounts that turn up on Facebook and you don't actually have to deal very deep to see that this is a coordinated effort. Mm. And, of course, this is just my observation mm. that this is happening. We also know that absolute porkies have been told by Sky Oh, absolutely. Absolute porkies. So if you've heard the one that the Uluru Statement is secretly 26 pages long, what are they not telling you? Well, the the, the Uluru Statement is one page. In fact, you can see photographs of it. It is one page with signatures on it proving that it is only one page. It is one page. The 26 pages was disinformation spread by Peter Credlin, who, of course – um, cited notes that were taken from community consultations. And let's remember more than 30,000 people were consulted in the process of the voice, which is how we know that it's representative of a common position hmm. agreed by consensus through ab- yeah. within Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. But Peter Credlin claimed that these consultation notes were secret parts of the document. And it seriously would be like basing a science paper on a Facebook comment section.
0: Well, it's almost, it's almost like, you know, if we can stick with the UN thing for a minute, it's almost like going around at the end of a UN conference, gathering up everybody's notes and speaking notes and bits of research, stapling it all together and saying... Oh yes, well, we know there was an agreed communication that everybody signed, but this is the real agreement, this giant pile of rubbish that I happen to have collected along the way. It's like, that's not how it works. That's not how any policy process works. Policy process works where there are lots of notes. There are lots of discussions and it's distilled in, in this case into one page. I mean, Quite frankly, even the even the white paper that we just discussed—that employment white—that's two hundred and fifty-one pages. You know, like get with it here. Like we we're talking about we're talking about the First Nations of this country. Even if it was twenty-six pages, that's short, and it's there's nothing secret. It's all there. (laughs) Well, I just want to make the point that I published this piece in The Guardian
1: today saying there is a disinformation campaign going on and it is incredibly dangerous and it is disgraceful because if you love this country, you don't lie to it. Correct. And have a referendum, have an opposing view, all of those things. But making claims about the UN stealing your dairy cow is just complete madness. But what I found very interesting, within minutes of me putting up that article online, Mm -hmm. I got a response from Associate Professor Tim Graham, who is a disinformation scholar at Queensland University of Technology. And- Uh, The good associate professor has prepared a paper about patterns that he's identified, and this is hard data. This is not Van going, I've seen this account before. This is not Van going, oh, look, another creepy weirdo on TikTok. This is an academic paper that... On the basis of hard data, where he consulted uh, 240,000 tweets sent by 32,453 unique accounts, and he discovered some really interesting patterns. Um, the hyperpolarized discourse on Twitter is marked by misinformation and conspiracy theories stemming from vote no campaigners, and further amplified by attempts to criticize and fact check it from the voice camp from the yes camp. Right. So if you engage with the disinformation, the algorithms promote it and the disinformationists know this. This is why they put out this provocative stuff because it muddies the waters and makes people confused and it's the reason why 30% of people have no opinion about the voice because they're low-information voters, they're time poor, they're not interested, whatever, and they go online and they see noise. We talked about this last week. More notes from the associate professor uh racial division and hidden agenda narratives have been promoted by elite actors and he's talking specifically about high influence twitter users from the night camp and of course specifically and i'm quoting sky news australia emerging as a significant influencer amplified by both sides amplified by yes people going that couldn't be right no no this is terrible don't do that Don't engage. The no campaign displays a significantly greater proportion of suspicious accounts. These are my friends with their AI-generated girlfriends who are telling me I'm fat all day. Vote no arguments, engage in trolling and sharing discriminatory content and spread conspiratorial narratives. Overall, our findings... Reveal a media ecosystem fraught with confusion, conspiratorial sense-making, and strategic media manipulation. It is happening. And the only thing that we can do, I cannot stress this enough, you cannot argue with a no voter. Mm. Once somebody is underlined for no... There is no point engaging with them anymore. You will distress yourself, you will get very unhappy, and you will essentially amplify the noise that is confusing people. The only people you need to speak to, and door knockers will tell you this there's a huge community of Australians who are undecided, who just want the facts. Yeah. And having a person to person conversation, finding them, Ben and I have put facts about the voice. I didn't interview with myself that I put on Facebook the other day. You can see it. It's me looking at myself in two red dresses. I'm just obviously a graphic design genius. Graphic design is my passion. That's not the point. And I interviewed myself about all of the crazy theories I've heard about the voice. All the answers are there. They're not for no voters. Those people have gone. They're not coming back. Mm. Anybody who's talking about the UN, you cannot talk to those people any anymore about no, this issue. They're done. They're done. They're finished. Anti-vaxers, Bill Gates conspiracy theories, the BlackRock and Vanguard conspiracy theory about how two investment yeah. firms are pro voice because for some reason it's all a bit it's all a bit loose. Yet you can't talk to them about this anymore. Talk to them about cake or surfing or whatever, but not this. But it's those undecided people who want real information. They are the people you need to talk to. Absolutely. And the idea
0: this has been proven by data, Ben will tell you, is very exciting. It is very exciting. It's good to have uh, data-based, data-driven decision-making and look, block, ban, delete. Block, band delete. Block, block ban, delete. We do it as much as we can on uh, Week on Wednesday channels uh, and we'll keep doing it because I know those people don't listen to the podcast. They just get on there to Talk try. Talk about the
1: World Bank it's and sheep or something. I some don't know. very weird things. My host makes ra- weird rainbow patterns. Somebody was like, but why do they believe it? And I'm like, why do people believe JFK Jr. is alive? People went to the grass in Dallas standing there for JFK Jr., who did not die there, that was his dad, to come back. And I'm just like, they will believe it. Anything and people will tell lies because they love it when people believe them.
0: It's true. Somebody's making a dollar somewhere, I'm sure. Speaking of, well, perhaps saving a dollar or more, then there is good news about. Kites. Oh my god, the news about kites is so good. It's it's news about renewable energy. Uh, so a German uh, company. We don't often report on companies overseas, but a German renewable energy giant, RWE, very German sounding name, uh, has begun testing its new airborne airborne wind. Uh, facility, which is an innovative large kite structure with a hybrid inflatable and fixed fiberglass
1: skeleton to hold its kite open.
0: And it, it's 60 square metres and weighs only 80 kilograms. Uh, and it, it the, the reel-out phase during which the kite control unit directs the kite to fly a crosswind figure of eight pattern, which creates a high pulling force to pull a tether out from a winch Housed in a 20 foot container. Uh, this generates, uh, 100 kilowatts of electricity. Uh, the whole process takes 100 seconds, 80 seconds for the real out phase and 20 seconds for the real in phase. Now, this is. This is using harnessing kites to generate electricity. This is their whole, this is the whole plan that they've got. The, the airborne wind energy technology. It's kites, right? Airborne wind energy technology. A kite. I mean, they acknowledge it in the name of the, of the company they've established called Kite Power. Um, uh, has a higher capacity uh, factor than either solar uh, or wind turbines and requires 90% less materials than a conventional wind turbine to build. Uh, It's also mobile, can be set up within 24 hours with all of the equipment fitting within a standard 20-foot long shipping container and is obviously, you know, on that basis, got great application for remote communities, remote sites. Uh, This is... It's amazing we, the things we can come up with the advances we can make when there's proper investment proper thinking proper science applied to it. Now I'm not saying we're all going to end up with kites flying off our roof. I mean I would love that. But this is this is a step another step in the right direction van.
1: Oh look this is why we have industry policy this is why we have science and education policy because actually human beings are capable of
0: incredible things if you create opportunities for them. I, noticed- I know.
1: It's almost like that's a role of government or something.
0: And i got to say, I'd much rather have, uh, you know, a dozen shipping containers with kites flying off them on the edge of my town than a modular nuclear reactor. Yes,
1: modular (laughs) nuclear reactors are right out. I'm sorry. But Ben and I are definitely from the kite lobby because uh, probably because I am Gen X and I grew up the the time of Chernobyl and uh nuclear power is not safe. It's just not safe. Nuclear power is not safe. And if you don't believe me, well maybe you should visit Ukraine yeah. and see how safe everybody feels around those nuclear reactors. What do you reckon?
0: I have and they don't. Um look, then this is episode 151 of the show. Uh we've now uh we've now Outlived the uh, the Ghana government in the Northern Territory, uh, the
1: McGowan government of WA, McGowan
0: government of WA, the, the- Barry
1: government of New South Wales.
0: Oh, Thank God for that! Uh,
1: oh, that was briefly the Perata government. Uh, yeah, oh, the Perata government.
0: Doing here. Um, and of course now the Andrews government uh, in Victoria. Uh, thankfully, uh, all of those states still have Labor governments. Yay! But you know. And can I just say that Chris Min's social media presence
1: is so wholesome, you've never seen a man more happy to be premier in your life. It is hilarious. It is genuinely like. Worth checking out. Absolutely. I don't know if Ben necessarily indulges the full pro-New South Wales propaganda, but that's a man, I mean, he finds joy in every park and every ferry. Can I say, Chris <laughs> Mins, who we've had on the show,
0: good on you living your best life. Indeed. You know, this show though is possible because people like it, they share it. You know, if you're listening to this show, do like, do share, do comment, leave a review uh, on whichever platform you're listening to us. Uh, and of course, you know, we did start a supporter uh, base to help us grow our audience, which we have continued to do. We have continued to grow. We get over 40,000 downloads a month now, which is just phenomenal. we have well over the million mark. And it just blows my mind. And it's people making those financial contributions who can. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. People give just once off if that's what they can do. Some people give a buck a week. Some people give $10 a a month, which we call our Extend the Reach supporters. And there's our cadre who give $20 a month as well. Some people give just a lump sum. It's really amazing and it has helped us grow. It has meant that we've had to be uh, very on the ball when it comes to managing our social media presence because some of the people who hear our podcast or are exposed to our podcast because I don't think they really listen but who read about it don't necessarily like it but we want to get the messages in front of everyone we possibly can and your support makes that possible and to as part of our thank you to you Van reads out our list of cadre and extend the reach supporters every single episode.
1: Watch me go. Our cadre, Shamila LaCal, Diane Weir, Joe Lockery, Steph, Karina Bali, Jane C Campbell, Leona Gibbon, Shane Horsefall, Andy Stavitt, Stavitt, sorry, Ken Lee, Jason Paris, Mega Ichisaurus, Saurus, Matt and Common at Roskenner, eight eight eight, Roman, Cockington, Terry Butler, Jack Powell, Gal Ferguson, Rebecca Fanning for Longman, Colum, Kelly, Ali Vance, Mary M Love Your Work, Yit, Yeti, and Anthony Baldwin, Claire, Jason Dallas, Camila, Kiev Raburis, Gabe Kramer, Stephen, I trish Corey, Greg Miller, Kathy birch Fiona McNeil, Jed Carney, Bromwell, Punch Veteran, Adjene Forster 7, Andrew Pasco, Cassandra Tui, Ian Hampson, Note Twitter for me, Hana Honda, Matt Bush, Glenn Robbie, Brest Channels, Carly Phillips, Linda Cartwright, Lee and Shingles. I don't have a Twitter, my name is Susan Myers. Kerry Ash 20, Billy3, McCabe, Nurse Simon Akadegal, Lauren Ashton, Banjo, Narunga Man, John Sharp and Peter Barth, Louise Watson, Red White, and Blue Lou. Mm, 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 mm. Extend the Reach supporters, Stuart Munn, Blagoya, Matthew Case, Marky Mark, Adrian Valente, Masritsuri, Curried L68, Franklin House, Erica Pizzuti, Joe Lupino, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Harry Arthur, Pauline Bate, Helen DeLay, Del- uh, Delahaye Kim, Kim Delahaye, put your name backwards, <laughs> Mer- Murray Bardwell, Janet McCallum, Jeremy Mowell, Rosie Elliott, Lara, at Robert Phil one at Robert not one. Michael Wales, Sanj Kelly, Dorena, Donald Vaughan, Damien Marley, Rich- M- Michelle Norton, Rodney Slap, Cameron Dragon, Daniel, at Crazy Keser, John DeHaan, at Ange Fennel, Annie Uren, Melanie, Denny Jodie not on Twitter, Penelope Judge, Jane Holloway, Spirit of Anger and Hope, S. Wood, Diddams, Sharon Kelly, Beck and Lola, Richard Graveur, Someone, Vita W, Nandita Hannum, Maureen Louise Hawker. Megan Weckett, Graham Oxley, Tracy Lucas, Sandy Heinen, at Galvez, Greg Martin, Trainer Amy Fawcett, not on Twitter, Sarah Elianen, Andrew Ivers, Billet, Andrew Bryan, Peter O.C., Sam Hedid, Kip Patterson, Funk and Basher, Katie Ward, at the Real Neville Longbody, Sandy Bomegut, at Not Sandy B, and Renee McGee. And can I do a particular shout out? There was a horrible news story about someone who was very mean to dogs this week. And I, I just want to acknowledge that some of the accounts who um, support our show they acknowledge their dogs in their account names and we're holding our dog very tightly and there's horrible evil in the world but as long as we're together we can fight it and keep the
0: dog safe absolutely uh, and I just also yes, want can we germ I just also want to acknowledge that our good news story today was sent to us by one of our listeners, Daniel Conway. Yay! Uh, and I know I've got a backlog of correspondence from listeners and supporters that we will get to over the coming days. Things have just been a bit busy with Fan and I both being sick recently as well. Yeah,
1: and me deleting a thousand cookers a day. But the good news is, when you block and delete the anti-voice people, it does stop. Like, I'm not getting as much as I was two weeks ago, meaning there is a limited capacity on horrible attack accounts.
0: Fantastic news. On that
1: note, Love you, Vanny. Oh, I love you too. You're the best. Bye. And we love you, Jim. Bye.
0: Yes.